Good morning. Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. This morning, 8 o'clock, our first service, it was cold out there. How did it get so hot so soon? Wow, it's going to be a scorcher today. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, is the air conditioning feeling good? Okay, we're going to have to start charging you extra for air conditioning. <laughs> if you like it, we're going to charge you for it. Um, at this time, I'm looking for Chris Salto. Great, thank you, Chris, to come down and share with us an update on our um, refugee program. Good morning. 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 Uh, Gary recently reminded us, I think in a Monday um, email, that when a door or opportunity closes, another door might open. And this definitely applies to our refugee journey. Last October, we at the Outreach and Social Concerns Committee, like all of you, were witnessing on the news the tremendous refugee problems, especially from Syria. And while we knew we could not solve the problem, we knew we could, acting together, welcome the stranger and bring new hope and a future to one family. So I went to the Interfaith Refugee and Immigration Service, the refugee agency recommended by our Methodist Conference, regarding sponsoring a Syrian refugee family, and went to church council in January for approval to go ahead. They unanimously approved of going forward, and we involved the other Methodist churches in our mission area group, Moore Park, Malibu, Thousand Oaks, St. Matthews. And this was the beginning of an incredible outpouring of Christian love and energy to support this journey. We formed a welcome team to raise funds, furniture, supplies, and explore ways to provide volunteer assistance. Paul Guyverson, Nancy and Fred Moravik, Gary Evans, and Kitty and I represented our Methodist church on that team. And we reached out for you, to you, first for funding, and you were very generous. Of the $7,000 we understood we needed to raise to sponsor a family, this church specifically donated the sum of $5,500, a little more than $5,500. And then other faith groups wished to join our welcoming team, Epiphany Episcopal, members of St. Jude's and the LDS community. And with their contributions combined, we have over $11,000 right now. Then we asked you for furniture, and you and members of the other uh, faith communities were again very generous, and we filled the garages of Gary Evans and Nadine Larson of our church. <laughs> and then led by the women of the Canal Valley Interfaith Association, we had collections throughout the community, including here, of supplies for welcome baskets for kitchen baths and, and bedroom items. And again, you were amazingly generous, and when the group met at the local Islamic center, more than 150 baskets were made, most of which were sent to Syrian refugee families in the Sacramento area, but we retained two complete sets and a lot of extra supplies. So we were blessed with the incredible support by so many in our community. However, in late June, July, we began getting word from IRIS, the, our refugee agency that would be extremely unlikely that we would be able to sponsor a Syrian refugee family in the greater Caneo or LA area. After several communications with them about all we had done and were doing, several of us from the welcoming team, including Paul Guyverson, Gary Evans, and myself, went to Los Angeles and met with them, a director, a supervisor, and two field caseworkers. We were so impressed with their staff and their compassion and the dedication and all the work they're doing to help the refugees. But they made it clear the reasons it's very difficult to bring a Syrian family here. Uh, one was the very high cost of living, but started out as hoping to find an apartment for 1500 Now their goal is $1,250 a month or less for a two-bedroom, virtually impossible. Plus, there's not a large enough Syrian-American population in this area, they felt, to offer adequate support. But most importantly, their policy now mostly requires resettlement only in areas where they have a, a refugee has a family tie already here. Well, on that same day, the New York Times, coincidentally, it ran an article about not only that the U.S. commitment for 10,000 Syrian refugees was met, but where they were being settled. And it definitely showed not L.A., New York, San Francisco, the other major urban areas, but smaller areas like Phoenix, Sacramento, where the cost was less. So a door was closing, but one opening. The agency caseworkers we met with said there are many refugee families here in LA area, greater LA that we were looking at, 
that don't have welcoming teams and are in dire need and are having difficulty paying for basic expenses. These families come mostly from Iraq, Iran, and Afghanistan and are of diverse religious uh, backgrounds. They come for basically political or uh, religious persecution and are in the similar situations in you know, war-torn areas that uh, many are from Syria. But in response, our welcome team met in late August, unanimously approved the following, which, uh, which I took to church council. We decided not to wait for the possibility of a door for Syrian refugee families to open, if it ever would, but to step through a new door for uh, other refugee families in need. And of the 11,000, to give 9,000 of the money we raised, plus the furniture and supplies, to the IRIS Emergency Fund so they can offer immediate assistance to the refugees already here. By providing aid to multiple families with clearly identified urgent needs, our efforts can assist many families now rather than one family in an uncertain future that may never happen. So the Interfaith Refugee Agency will provide us with the background information and keep us informed about the families receiving aid. The remaining 2,000 we will send to a Syrian refugee welcome team or refugee agency in another geographic area that would enable them to finish raising the funds they need to sponsor a family. But it would be in an area where cost of living is affordable, family ties are available. So we again acknowledge and appreciate the generous donations made by this congregation and will continue to be transparent about the use of your donations and keep you informed about the progress and activities carried out on your behalf. The welcome team from our Methodist churches on our interfaith journey of humanitarian assistance and hope, we hope to continue to raise funds and donations that help refugee families, possibly a Syrian family someday in the local area. We will be scheduling a Sunday evening potluck, probably November, at either this church or the Methodist in Thousand Oaks for all the congregations in this journey. There will be an opportunity to hear a speaker from the Interfaith Refugee Agency tell us the stories of the families our efforts are helping and describe the impact their help is making in their lives. We'll continue to communicate with you about other possible avenues of support for refugee families. And we thank you so much for your understanding, your compassion, and your amazing support for refugee families. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, please contact me or Pastor, Pastor Brian. Thank you so much. stand as we join together in our hymn of celebration number 378. The beloved Amazing Grace will sing the first two and the last two verses.
May we continue with the spirit and an attitude of prayer as we join in our prayer hymn 358. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, we will sing the first three verses. we come to you this morning we give you thanks and praise that we might come in prayer as community and as fellowship we give you thanks and praise gracious God for your beautiful creation the joy of this day we give you thanks and praise for the abundant blessings that we lift up and share together the gift of birthdays anniversaries celebrations and births the abundant and the small ways that you have continued to bless our lives that we acknowledge and we don't always see. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of voices that we can lift together in song to share in praise and in worship in fellowship with one another. And in our praise and in our thanks, we too lift up the burdens that we bear, the hurts that we carry, the sins that we have committed against you and one another, to know that in this time we can continue to come before you to seek your grace, your healing touch, your loving embrace. And glorious God, as we lift up the prayers that weigh on our hearts and the things in our lives, we know that you too call us to pray for the state of the world and the state of affairs. So we lift up those around this nation, around this world, who live with the reality of war and of strife, those who hunger and thirst, those who have given up hope, for those who seem to have mountains too large to climb, so many other burdens and things that weigh upon our hearts and on our shoulders. But we know that in our prayers, we don't lift up mere words, but as a desire to see lives transformed and changed, that in so doing, our hearts may too be transformed. So as we come to you in prayer, may we come in silence to experience the breath of your spirit, to experience the joy of your presence, to be still before you, but even for a moment, glorious God, we come. Merciful and loving God, we know we pray not alone, for you have called us to community, and you've called us to fellowship. And so on this day, may we lift our voices in prayer 
with the voices heard around the world throughout the ages that have prayed together the prayer that your son Jesus Christ our Savior taught that we lift our voices in prayer as we pray together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever amen ushers come forward as we receive our morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings.
thanks and praise as we offer to you our gifts, tithes, and offerings. We ask that you will bless and multiply these, our gifts, that we be faithful to the ministry for which you have called us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. reading from the Word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth, was carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but I, what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. This is God's word for God's people. Thank you. May we pray. 
Eternal God, we give you thanks in the reading of the word once more to be confronted by yourself in this word today. And we ask now that even more than words heard, even words more than read on page with ink, that this now becomes the living word by your Holy Spirit within us. And that truly as good seed that finds its way to good soil, digs deep roots and brings forth harvest, that this now the seed of the word of God make it deeply into the soil of our souls and bring to us a harvest unto everlasting life through Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are continuing in our Stewardship Emphasis sermon series with my sermon on Give Me an E. So, so congregation, give me an e. e. You guys are doing good. Our first sermon uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we were here on the altar wall going to spell a word. And the first letter was S, which meant the beginning of the word steward. Last week, Brian shared about T, tithing, and today our E stands for evangelism. But I can hardly wait next week when I bring the sermon and the next letter, W, because then I'm going to be in a stew. Now, I wanted to clarify a few things from Brian's sermon last week, which I might add I thought was spot on about our responsibility to give the best 10% to God of our lives, our prayers, our financial gifts, and our spiritual gifts. But I did want to take a, a bit of exception with a part of his sermon when he talked about siblings and the birth order of children. Yeah. He said the firstborn was independent and willing to try all things because there were no reals, and I agree with that. And then he talked about how the younger siblings would have to put up with the hand-me-downs from the older sibling as they got the clothes that the oldest ones were first, and then the second oldest had to wear them, and then you pass them down to the third youngest of the children. But I wanted to let Brian know it doesn't always work that way. Because you see, in my family, I had an older brother, and then there the two twins, and I had a younger sister. So the way that it works out doesn't work quite the same. Now, my twin brother and I never wanted to receive anything from my older brother because we would always fight about what it was. My parents just said, forget it, we'll buy them new stuff. My sister never had to worry about getting the hand-me-down stuff because she was a sister, and they always gave her dresses. Some people have accused me of having an older sister. <laughs> but truth be known, my mother did do something to actually distinguish our underwear so we didn't end up wearing each other's. Now, I mean, can you imagine how disturbing it would be to be wearing your brother's underwear? <laughs> And so my mother bought these little cotton tags, and, and they were named Chick, Don, and Gary. And she would actually sew them into the elastic band of her underwear, so that when the washing came out of the, the washer, she'd put them in neat piles. Also had them in her t-shirts, but she'd put them in neat piles, Gary, Don, and Chick, and we didn't have to be worrying about whether or not we're getting the diseased underwear of our siblings. <laughs> I think we did that until our mid-20s. <laughs> And um, after my mom had passed away, we didn't get those done anymore. And so oftentimes I would forget though who I was. I'd just look into my underwear and knew who I was. <laughs> now that my mother doesn't do that anymore, I still have a habit of looking at my underwear to remember who I am. And I, I thought my name for the last 10 years was Fruit of the Looms. But Tammy says, I just don't want you ever tell me that your name is Victoria's Secrets. <laughs> oh, we, we really dredged the depths, haven't we? <laughs> but all that aside, there is actually an analogy when we talk about our relationship in stewardship and evangelism. Now, the word evangelism comes from the Greek word evangelos, from which we get a very clear cognate word in English that we can translate as evangel, evangelical, and evangelism. The word is literally translated, though, into English simply as good news. 
It is a good news. Now, what is that good news? <clears throat> it's perhaps epitomized by one of the most powerful single verses <clears throat> of the entire Bible from John 3.16. And I'm probably sure that every one of us knows it. And so, would you say it with me? John 3.16. For God so loved the world <clears throat> that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Isn't that amazing how familiar a verse that is to every one of us here today? That's why it's called good news. Sharing this good news is the lifeblood of the church. <clears throat> we have a story to tell, and God asks us to share that story. <clears throat> now, I know that evangelism to some has taken a bad rap. You mentioned the word evangelism. Sometimes people get this kind of an image of the seedy Elmer Gantry type uh, uh, yelling at people in a tent and manipulating people emotionally to come forward to accept Jesus. And I've actually been to some evangelism meetings like that. And um, yet there have been many more a person who was brought to Christ through evangelists who indeed were simply sharing the good news of Christ. I know I was one of them. When Billy Graham, during a crusade televised in my own living room, in my own home, asked me to open my heart and accept Jesus Christ in a personal and powerful way that changed my life and has truly seen me through the last 48 years serving as a minister of the church. In our scripture today, we have an evangelism account of John and Peter. And we're told in verses 1 through 3, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate called Beautiful to ask alms of those who entered the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, the lame man asked, for alms. Now, this was a common enough experience for anybody who went into Jerusalem at the time of the apostles. Actually, it has been true down through the centuries during the Crusades as the Crusader soldiers made their way to Jerusalem to wrest it back from the Moors. Along the pilgrim ways, along the roads upon which the Crusaders would walk, there would be the destitute, the poor, and the lame. And they too would lay by the roadside asking for and begging from kindnesses from them as they would meet their needs. And so Peter and John see a man whom they had seen many times actually begging at the temple for alms. But this time the man saw them and he cried out for them for something, anything. And verses 4 and 5 tell us, And Peter directed his gaze at him, and with John said, Look at us. And the man fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. Well, you know how it works. You see a homeless person on the sidewalk. Maybe they're coming toward you. Maybe they're just sitting there with a sign that says hungry, uh, need food, need a job. And we pass by them. What do we normally do? Yeah, you look away. You avert your eyes. Because if you look at them, you have to deal with them. And sometimes we don't want to deal with that. And we know that if we look at them, we're going to have to stop and we're going to have to spend our time perhaps talking to them and we're trying to figure out how can I say no. We've all been there. I have. You have. And if you should look at them and they expect that they're going to receive something, you're stuck. How things have not changed in 2,000 years. The man at the temple beautiful gate caught their eye. They stopped. Can you imagine the beggar? He was getting to feel that something of hope was welling up in him, that he was not going to go hungry this day. But in verse 6, we are told, but Peter said, I have no gold and I have no silver. Bummer. <laughs> the guy is saying here, what do you think I'm doing here? Sitting here for my health? I'm looking for some dough. I need something to eat. I expect something from you. What do you mean you don't have anything? And then the man and we are both surprised when Peter gives him not what he asked for, but what he really needed. And in the second part of that verse, we said, but Peter said, I give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. Now, let me tell you, if I was the crippled man, if I was the man who was hungry, personally, I would be so attuned to just hearing, okay, here's a little money to give you what you need, that I would have completely 
not expected to be told to stand up and walk because I have been crippled since my birth. I'm just looking for a handout. I don't need a miracle. I don't expect a miracle. I just need a few bucks to get by. But nevertheless, Peter says, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. But you see, Peter and John were just not saying words. They were demonstrating those words by the power of God. And it tells us in verse 7 and 8, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This guy came to beg for a few morsels of food, and he ends up on Dancing with the Stars. We've come a long way in the church since those days. We have come to, from nothing to everything. We have come from poor peasants and fishermen following Jesus to wealthy people who commit themselves to Christ. We've come from having to hide in catacombs, being thrown to the lions, to a place where we're basically accepted for what we are. The message hasn't changed, but the impact of it has. Back in the medieval ages, in the 13th century, St. Francis of Assisi was visiting with the Pope in Rome. We know St. Francis, patron saint of animals. He's the one who lived as an ascetic priest, giving up everything of the world so that he could help the poor. And now with the Pope, he is walking through the great splendors of the Vatican, the glorious treasures of the museums and the magnificent buildings of the Holy See. How many of you visited the splendors of the Vatican when it was up at the Reagan Library? Yeah, magnificent. Some of you were with me last uh, April when we were in Rome at the Vatican and seen firsthand the wonderful treasures that the Vatican has. We have come from such meager beginnings to such power and influence, the Pope told St. Francis. And he said, look at all the treasures of the Vatican. Look at all the splendors of the Holy See. Look at the splendor of the building of the greatest cathedral in the history of the world, St. Peter's Basilica. And as St. Francis looked around at the glories of Rome and the Vatican, he answered back to the Pope. Your Holiness, there was a day when John and Peter once said, neither gold or silver do we have, but the name of the power of Jesus Christ, they could say, stand up and walk to today, where we have all the gold and silver we need, but we have no authority or power to say to anyone to stand up and walk anew in the power of Christ. You see, the church had lost its voice by looking no different than the world in which it lived, and the world could not distinguish the difference. This is why we need you to commit yourself to be evangelists for our church as faithful stewards to God. We have a nice property here and church buildings here in Westlake Village. Great place to live here in the Caneo Valley. That's why we live here. But there's nothing grand here. We don't have lots of gold and silver, although our church treasurer wish we did. <laughs> We don't have uh, saints buried in marble tombs. We have no brocaded tapestries, no monuments, although I am looking for the monument for me when I retire. <laughs> uh, I don't want it in a conspicuous place, just out on the green area there in front of Alton Hall. <laughs> perfect enough for me. But would you do something for it? Will you chase the pigeons off my head, please? <laughs> it doesn't have to be an, a 10-foot statue. Eight feet will be perfectly good enough for me. We don't have golden gates and pearls, but we can still say at this church, in the name of Jesus Christ by faith, we can say to those who need support for the journey, strength for their faith and love for their lives, rise up and walk anew in Jesus Christ. You see, we're all called to be God's bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. See, I believe in relationship evangelism. This is the good news shared between people. When we simply share Christ from who we are, from our own perspective, from our own lives, and our own hearts, so that others may find the love of God. 
all that is required for us to live our lives faithfully, share our faith when needed, and to love those around us is found when we simply share who we are. One thing I have found as sure and true as anything after 48 years of ministry is that not one of us has earned the right to speak to another person about Christ until we have heard their story. So we have listened and taken time to know who they are. So often I see people beating people over the head with their Bibles, their arguments, their superiority, and all the Christian words, and all the rest, and they have never even asked the person what their story was. Let me tell you something. God does not need you, and God does not need me to convict one person to follow him. That's the place of the Holy Spirit to convict people's hearts. What God needs from us is simply to share our stories after we have heard theirs, that they may know how much God loves them, how much God forgives them, and how much God wants to give them the gift of eternal life and love. Let me finish with a story about evangelism. When I was in seminary, I don't know what, if it was the last century or the century before, <laughs> but I can truly say that in the last century, <laughs> I was introduced in seminary by a friend of mine, John Wells, who became a United States Army chaplain, a man by the name of Corey Ishida. My chaplain friend said he needed to know Christ, and he had done everything that he could to share that message with him, and he asked, would I meet with Corey? Now, I did. I really don't even recall where. I believe it was in my friend's church in an office uh, some way away from the main office. I was a bit nervous because I didn't know how he would relate to me or react to me. But I simply prayed that God would help me share the good news with him. We met together, and I asked Corey to tell me his story. And he shared with things about his life. I didn't say a thing. I made no judgments on what he told me. I made no assumptions or preconceived assumptions about what he was about or what he was telling me. I tried simply to see him as God loved him. A person needed to know that God loved him so much that he sent his son to show him. After he shared his story, I said, Corey, may I talk to you about Christ? To my amazement, he said without one further word on my he said, yes, yes, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. That was it. That was my part. We prayed and he opened his heart to God. In two minutes, he made a personal decision to follow Christ. I had nothing to do with it. There had been those who had gone before me. I was kind of like an apple picker, just picking fresh fruit right off, ready to be picked. If you ask Reverend Corey Ishida today, as leader of the largest English-speaking Japanese congregation in California who led him to the Lord, he would say Gary Dickey, and Gary Dickey would tell you he had nothing to do with it. Except I opened my life to hear his story and to ask him about his relationship to God. What's the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Each and every one of us has a part to be in the story. No, all of us do not have to have a relationship with everyone around us, but everyone is, is called to show the love of God to everyone around us. And what happens is then found in verses 9 and 10 of our scripture today when it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at all that had happened to him. My church family, that is what evangelism is all about. Let's pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks because we know that in you is the power of the good news. It's not really up to us. 
it is up to us simply to be there and to be open and willing to share and to listen. It is up to us to just be so concerned about others that we say we too have a story to share. May we see, O oh God, today that you call each one of us to be committed in our stewardship to share that good news if we have experienced it, others may know it too. And all of this we pray in the name, indeed, of him who so loved the world that he gave his son that we might believe and have everlasting life, even Jesus Christ. Amen. May I invite you to stand as we join together in our hymn of dedication number 334, Sweet, Sweet Spirit. And as we're doing that, I'm going to invite Dr. John Nagel, former pastor here at the church, because I would like to have him come forward to lead us in our benediction as we close our service. same spirit of love that we depart into the world in the name of God who comes to us as our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. Amen. Amen.